Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to our church here this morning as we worship. Uh, it's great to be with you. You're just a, a wonderful a group of people here today. I'm used to worshiping in churches where a lot of people have not yet shown back up. I'm from Texas. It's cold here, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Uh, it's really cold. Uh, I would like to, if you don't mind this morning, uh, I'd like to just take a picture of you. Would you mind turning the house lights up just so we could see? Is that possible as we can see everybody here? That would be uh, like really, really cool. Maybe not. Okay, here we go. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one of these big pictures, and then you're going to be on Facebook, okay? So uh, we're going to start you over here, and as it comes by you, just wave and say hello and pretend like you're talking to people back in Texas, all right? Here we go. There it moves along. Hello. Thank you so, so much. You can even say hello if you want. Uh, oh, somebody said y'all. That wasn't very nice. Thank you so much. That's excellent. Give yourself a round of applause for that. Thank you. All right. My name is Bill Woolsey. I'm an LCMS pastor from Texas. Have any of you ever been there, by the way? Just raise your hand really high. You should be very proud of this, all right? Texas is God's country. God has a ranch there. Uh, it's called West Texas. It's a, it's a, it's a very barren place. Uh, Texas is also home to world-renowned Lone Star Beer. My grandpa sold Lone Star Beer. I lived with my grandparents for a year when I was a kid. My parents were divorced. My grandpa and my grandma, Elton and Leona Fisher, Elton John Fisher, is that cool or what? That was his name. Uh, taught me a lot of stuff, but Papa sold Lone Star Beer in Central Texas. He drove a beer truck uh, around there. I got to ride with him at times on that route. Uh, don't know if you've ever had Lone Star Beer. If you imagine like the best beer you've ever had, Lone Star is the Antichrist, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a horrible beer, it's a horrible beer. But it paid the bills and put a lot of us through school. So uh, I lead this ministry called 5-2. 5-2 is a network that clarifies, equips, and activates God's sacred starters so that their God-given dreams become ventures that make an eternal impact in communities and bring Jesus to bear. And those dreams may be Spanish-speaking churches outside of Austin, Texas, like one that we're working with right now, led by a couple from Colombia. Their team consists of two people from Venezuela and one from Mexico. Wonderful group of people. Uh, or maybe it's clinics for the underserved here in Detroit and Flint. The Luke Clinic is a clinic that we help launch. Support groups for single Puerto Rican moms in the Bronx. Immigration Services Center in Orlando, Florida. Huge homeless ministry in Phoenix, Arizona. And one of my personal favorites is a coffee shop with worship center back behind it in St. Ignace that Andy and Sue Escalinen launched a number of years ago up in a beautiful place that really nobody should live there. It's so cold. Uh, I mean, anytime the water freezes over and you drive a snowmobile across it, that's crazy, all right? So I just don't care how much you love that. Uh, 
It's just, it's, it's amazing though, friends, because as you have seen over the last few years, especially with COVID, the world around our churches is changing. People have changed. If you do something for 18 months, your values have changed. Your behaviors change. And they're no longer inclined to say, ooh, church, that's what I want to be a part of. That shifted, it was shifting already, it really took root the last few years. And so we need to be bold and courageous in how we launch new expressions of the gospel, new ministries into communities, so that people can meet Jesus where they are without us expecting them to come to us to receive the wonderful word of his forgiveness. When we boldly act on what Jesus is doing, the church grows. And that reminds me of a story that was read for you earlier. It's the story called The Feeding of the 5,000. I suspect many of us here have heard it before, but perhaps some of us have never heard it. Maybe this is the first time that you heard that story in that way. And it tells us the reality that Jesus uses ordinary stuff and ordinary people for miraculous results. And if you take nothing else away from this story this morning, I want you to pack that up and take it home. Jesus uses mundane, ordinary things and ordinary people for miraculous results. Now, we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000 using Mark's gospel, chapter 6. And uh, if you have your phone, your iPad, turn there on that, pull that up. As we go through it, I would love for you to just, you know, highlight stuff that you really like and you want to uh, take back home with you. The chapter kicks off, and I'm going to set up the whole chapter for us. I'm going to set up the miracle before we get there with the chapter. The chapter kicks off, and just a few verses in, Jesus sends his 12 closest buds the disciples, the apostles, we call them a couple different names at times. Uh, he sends them on their first mission adventure. And he tells them that they should, beginning in verse 8, take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. And this is so, so Jesus-like. He's basically saying that your ministry is going to be a ministry of scarcity. Let me say that again. Your ministry is going to be a ministry of scarcity. They were to care for people, drive demons out of people, proclaim the coming of the king, but they were to do it all with almost nothing. Nada. When it came to physical provision. And think about that. When in your own life, have you felt you were living in a desert of scarcity? A friend of mine, she recently went through a divorce and she, she told me, she said, I feel like I'm living in this desert, that there's nothing here, no companionship anymore, wondering if there ever will be, afraid that she's not going to have much money, he's going to take it all that her kids are going to leave her and want to go live with her ex. When you're at that place in life, it takes a lot of work to find good there, yet there is where you often find Jesus because you realize all the stuff you used to depend upon that used to count dear and near to you, it's, it's not there or it's in jeopardy of leaving. 
which is what happened with Jesus' disciples. He, he sent them out with no suitcase full of clothes, no American Express platinum card to charge it all on because he wanted them to grow more in trusting him than in trusting their stuff. Faith at its core is depending on something, resting in someone, so that the more dependent I am on Jesus, the stronger my faith becomes because I start to realize I can't depend upon myself and my stuff, which sounds fine and fun until you realize that it's your faith for, for your faith to grow stronger, it means you have to have very little in your hands. It's almost like it has to be taken away so that you can realize how, how critical, how central Jesus is in providing for you and your well-being and whatever it is he's, he's calling you to do. One pair of shoes, one shirt, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, scarcity, but regardless of what little you have, you still have Jesus. So he sends them to do that. They have great success. But while they're gone, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, is beheaded. So they return all excited about how stuff had gone down. But Jesus is mourning and grieving his cousin's death. Plus, Jesus' crowd factor had increased. And he couldn't go anywhere without everybody bombarding him. So in verse 31... Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things, which is just like Jesus in spite of how he felt, in spite of how exhausted he was, in spite of what his plans had been, he is unable to look at you, at me, at the crowds, and not feel compassion. He can't just drive by and ignore. He can't walk into the room and pretend you're not there. He can't hear your voice and tune it out. That's just not in his nature. He can't not be compassion. If you or I were Jesus and we'd landed on that beach with all the people, we'd be like, Siri, find us a new place. Yeah. Wrong, wrong spot. Not Jesus. His heart is always with us. Even when our heart is not with him. And since we, the church, are his body on earth, should not our hearts look like his heart? Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. These are smart, exhausted men. They've been on a mission trip to the demonic hinterlands. They can sense when a crowd's going to go from eating out of Jesus' hand to, where's my pizza? So they do what any... CPA, engineer, educated in the ways of the world person would be when they're faced with such a huge need and obviously don't have enough food for all those people. Let them go take care of themselves. But Jesus answered, verse 37, you give them something to eat, which interestingly enough is a command. In the Greek, the word give is a command. It's not an option. 
Moms, it's like when you say to your 10-year-old son, give your sister some of that candy. <laughs> you don't mean like, ah, it's probably a good idea. You mean like, if you don't give her some of the candy, I'll take the candy away. <laughs> Jesus is not giving the disciples an option. You give them something to eat. But they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now just put yourself in the shoes. They were going on a vacation. They had chosen this spot. They land in this crowds there. It's from a foreign city. This is not where they live. So what are a couple things we know? A, they've never met these people before. B, they're never going to meet them again. And C, they've only missed one meal. It's not like they went hungry for days or weeks. We're just talking a meal. Who hasn't ever missed a meal? You want us to drop thousands and thousands, half a year's wages on total strangers for probably what seems to them as kind of a frivolous need. What they're really asking is, Jesus, don't you think there's a better use for the money? And I wonder how often we have that imaginary dialogue with Jesus where we see someone who's hungry, maybe for food, but maybe just for friendship, for laughter, for holding. They just want to be held. Maybe it's your spouse. What's she longing for? Do you even know where she's hungry? What's gnawing at his gut that creates in him this sense of dissatisfaction that, that he can't fill no matter how hard he tries to fill it? Do you even know? We see someone hungry. We know Jesus wants us to do something about it, but we out of selfishness decide that there are better ways to use the money. And nine times out of ten, it's on us, not on them. But Jesus doesn't let lack of resources stop the miracle from happening. Verse 38, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And this, by the way, is where the network that I lead, we take our name, five, two and we chose that name because when Jesus told them, you give them something to eat, and they said, we don't have enough, he sent them into the crowd to go and see how he can work miracles out of small amounts of mundane kind of stuff. Bread and little fish. The fish that that word talks about were little fish, like sardine fish. Where in your life do you need to discover how Jesus works miracles out of the ordinary little stuff. Where are you finding yourself? Looking down at your hands and out at the huge crowds around you muttering, we can't do this. The, the suffering's too great. The, the finances, they're just not enough. The marriage is just beyond repair. The distance between my son and me is so far. Never the twain shall meet. Never are we going to reconcile and get that back together again. Mr. Scarcity says, what I have is not enough. Why try? So don't even try. We'll just kind of throw in the towel. And Satan wins. 
But Jesus says, go and see what's out there. He wants his church to grow and his crowds to be cared for. His church grows when his people obediently go and love and care. Especially and even when we think we don't have enough. And what did they discover? They discovered that the very food they needed to feed the crowd was in the crowd. Didn't belong to them. Didn't belong to the church. They did not have to bring the resources to bear. All they had to do was be obedient and go. And what did they find? They found this little boy with his five loaves and two fish. And you got to think, if you'll go with me for a second, 5,000 men plus women and children, 8,000, give or take 1,000 people. Do you think maybe they could have found a little bit more than five loaves and two fish? <laughs> Do you think that maybe they're just like, we already told Jesus there's not going to be enough here. Why don't we just like take his food and go back and prove it to him? <laughs> so they steal the little boy's lunch, Okay. This little boy, right? Thankfully, he did not have a scarcity mindset. He could have said, whoa, dude, this is, my, this is my tuna fish sandwich. My mom made me this sandwich. Everybody should have packed their own lunch. We all know Jesus goes long. <laughs> he never, he never lets you out on time, okay? So this is not just, this is not my fault. You should have taken care of that. But he didn't say that. Instead, he surrendered the tuna fish and the five loaves, which is what a giving mindset would do. And the disciples bring them back to Jesus. And you can kind of imagine what the disciples were thinking, maybe what they said even. And Jesus says, so what have you got? And they're like, hey, Jesus, we told you there's not going to be enough here. And this is all we've got. So Jesus says, no, what have you got? Oh, we got five loaves and two fish. No, 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 what have you got? Oh, we've got five smelly, you know, five little bitty loaves of bread and two stinky fish, and that's all we've got. And I wonder if as he's asking this, he's thinking back to when he sent them out to do mission work with no bread, no bag, no money, just a shirt on their back, shoes on their feet, yet they also had him. His presence, his spirit, which means they had more than enough. Jesus is wrong. You have two little fish, you have five loaves of bread, and you have me. And when you have me, you have the divine possibility of having more than enough. Friends, the beauty of being a child of God, which is, which is what you are if you've been baptized. If you've not been baptized and you really want to be assured that you're a child of God, you should get baptized. Because in baptism, you can look back on your Google calendar and you can see on April the 6th, 1961, you became a child of God. That he secured you. No one can take away your sonship, your daughtership. It's yours for life. No one can revoke it. You can rest in it, live in it, enjoy it, be filled with the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus day in and day out, knowing that whatever his calling is on your life, he will provide. The beauty of being this child of God is that the God who turns simple stuff into miraculous results has taken simple you, and is unfolding day after day, miracles in your life. 
Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Double underline, highlight, they were full. They were all full. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Doesn't matter what you have, how little you think you have, when you lift it up to Jesus and ask him to bless it, when you ask the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the creator who spoke and things came into being, the crucified one who died and defeated death, the one of whom Paul wrote that our God is in able to do imaginably more than all we can ask or imagine. When you bring that to Jesus, miraculous stuff happens out of the mundane. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has in store for his people. So Jesus blessed it, gave it to the disciples. The disciples did what he originally asked them to do. You give them something to eat. They passed it out, gathered 12 basketfuls, one for each guy, and he goes home with his basket full of bread and fish, and he can, like, can't really get in the door, so he kind of knocks on the door, and his wife opens the door, and she's like, what is this? And he's like, I'll tell you later. <laughs> out of ordinary people like you and me, broken, whacked out, crazy acting, ladder climbing, self-centered, but forgiven, fully loved, full of the presence of Christ. The kingdom of God comes. You are Jesus' body on earth. You may feel mundane. You may think you're nothing special. But, the but by the power of Jesus, you are how Jesus wants his kingdom to grow. You are how Jesus wants people to meet him. So what obedient step is he calling you to take? What crowd does he want you to feed, to love on, to care for? Whatever mountains you're facing, whatever calling Jesus laid on your heart, may you always trust that he will provide for even if it's only five loaves and two fish. When you have Jesus, you also have more than enough. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this morning, we, we thank you so much for this place that you've given us, this beautiful facility to worship you in, this beautiful uh, city, uh, this Frankenmuth that is so gorgeous, and the snow that is falling outside, even though a few of us are very cold, uh, we still thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for how you, you pour your grace upon us, how you give us reminders day in and day out of your presence in our lives, and how you love us so much that you have given your very life for us. Father, give us that picture, no matter what we're facing, that you are with us, you are in us, you are for us, never against us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much this morning.